Welcome back to Get Paid for Your Pad. Today I have a special guest on the show, Mr. Lucas Kraus. He's the CEO of Skyrun Vacation Rentals with over almost 1,200 units under management. And uh, Lucas has a pretty extensive uh, history and experience in, uh, in property management in general. So excited to pick his brain on what's going on in the industry and also on how do we how do we scale a company to, to that kind of level. That's a, that's a super interesting topic. So Lucas, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Awesome. You want to share a little bit of your background before we dive into it? Yeah, I'll try not to put everyone to sleep. I got an eclectic set of, ba- of experiences. It's funny. I spent a little time in financial services uh, and uh, realized that was not the space for me and did a little time in telecom and then got in this crazy world called franchising, working for the capital group that owned Quiznos and wore almost every hat under the sun for them. And um, it was it was a great experience uh, in building and kind of scaling businesses. Uh, then ended up in the, in the property management space, as you uh, just mentioned, in uh, 2011. And uh, with a company called Real Property Management, led a turnaround for a group there and really helped us scale from a few thousand homes to 65,000 homes on, on, under our belt. And... Uh, to be the largest single family property manager in the country. I uh, did that through a franchise system and it was just a lot of fun helping small business owners really scale. And, you know, we had people who had thousands of properties when it was all said and done. So, um, you know, as we talk about the purpose here, that's kind of what I do in living in franchising and helping people build businesses. And so, you know, just recently got into the short term space and it feels eerily similar to the long term space, you know, 10 years ago, a uh, huge opportunity Technology, big investments in technology and still very fragmented. So I've had a lot of excitement in just really helping our business start to ramp up and scale and learning more and uh, see a bright future on the horizon for this space. That's great to hear. Yeah, I'm interested to learn a little bit more about your perspective because, you know, I started in 2012. So for, you know, I feel like, wow, the industry has, has, has matured so much, you know, so much more professional, but I'd love to hear your perspective as somebody coming in from, you know, related space, but slightly different space in, in just two years ago. Like what, what was your first sort of observation of, of this industry and where do you think we are, we are at in the, in the general It still spectrum? feels like it's an in infancy. I mean, it doesn't mean it hasn't matured and evolved. And, and so when I was in long-term management, I kind of thought, oh, well, this has been around forever. It's mature. But then you look at like multifamily management and the sophistication and precision. And it was like, we, we aspire to get there. And I kind of see a similar thing in the, in the short-term space where you can see this evolution of the business. But I will tell you, it's far more tech-forward than where the long-term was. And, and I think the reasons around that is because of the sophistication and pricing that you need to compete. And so what I like about this, not only what I see in the space is there's so much investment in technology making these things more accessible um, because now there are a lot of pricing solutions. They used to be maybe only a few select people could afford it. Now, given there's more competition that's bringing the pricing down, uh, I think that's a great thing. You're also seeing a lot of elements of specialty cleaning solutions or specialty operational elements to add on to the property management systems. And ultimately, I see those getting rolled in to, you know, in the longer term PMSs. 
but you can see that there's still efficiencies on the PMSs that aren't being completely solved. So um, I think they're still ripe for a lot of evolution, but we're just seeing, you know, this is a, a, a very vibrant, successful industry that is getting more competitive and more sophisticated every day. Right. Now, one thing that's, you know, that's a huge trend right now, not just in our industry, but outside as well, is artificial intelligence. Like, are, are you guys focused on that at all? Focused? I wouldn't say yet. Uh, we're going through a major reset. Uh, we're rebuilding. We have our own custom, uh, you know, property management software system, and we're launching here this summer. And that's a big in our future in leveraging that. So I'd say given our old platform and the age of it, we haven't really adopted as much as we can and we are going to. Um, in my former world, we did use it for reading invoices and things like that in the long-term space. But really excited about we have so much data with you know almost 15 years plus of history and all the inventory and hundreds of thousands of guests of leveraging AI for you know guest interactions and communication um, and, and really try to remove, I'd say, unnecessary human intervention. But we, we really value and our success is a little higher touch and customer focused. And so we're going to strike that right balance. That doesn't mean we can't use it for really efficiencies. Um, I am really interested in how we can leverage that for pricing. Um, I think there's some, some great tools there. So I know your question was directly about are you using it today? The answer is no, but we have a clear roadmap and a very intentional plan to, to really start to engage that more. Yeah. Um, let's see, like, what, what, do you, what, do, what is your view currently of the industry? Like, you know, late 2022, there was this, there was this thing, I don't know if you, you know, read this articles about like the Airbnb bust and, you know, the hosts are going bankrupt and, and all that stuff. And, you know, we, we didn't really, you know, from our perspective, we had a little bit of a different perspective of, of like, yeah, you know, nothing goes up in a straight line. And yeah. you were in finance before I was in finance before there's all these ups and downs, but you know, since you have close to 1200 properties, you must have a pretty good view of like, you know, what's, what's happening in th this year. Like, do you, do you see a slowdown or a, a bust yeah. at all? It's a great question. Cause I mean, I, I think our demise is well overblown, right? <laughs> Cause you hear this, like what's happened is this industry First off, we were riding uh, all-time high, a perfect storm of, of elements, right? This revenge travel, you know, these subsidies where individuals had more discretionary income to spend as we were trying to stimulate the economy. And, you know, I look at it as a few things. This has helped been catalyst for our industry to grow and reach new peaks, right? You know, internet was huge for Verbo and, and things to move to this, you know, these online platforms and bring this in, you know, space from like, basically to classify ads to technology. Airbnb opened up urban markets and the app world created a new high and COVID helped a lot of people try our product. And so to your direct question, we're still up from where pre-COVID 2019, are we seeing a little deceleration in, you know, compared to the all-time peak? Yes, but... Um, we've grown actually as a, as, that's when we compare same store sales equivalent like booking. But since we've grown our inventory, we're up as a system. So we've mm -hmm. grown, we've taken a bigger piece of, I'll say a little smaller pie. But the other thing I think people really discount is there's more inventory. This given that there was so much excitement and demand, individuals saw this as a great way to have a second home and be able to use it a little bit and access it. And then you also had inventory convert from long-term to short-term. So there is, you know, you're competing. So 
I do see a slight softening when you kind of compare, but it's, it, it's very subtle and it's, and it's, you're competing for more inventory. And so, you know, like consoles obviously stay on top of your pricing, but it's also making sure you're providing great service and doing all the right things to stand out because it is more competitive because there's more inventory. Mm-hmm. So, you know, competition is increasing. Um, that's something that we're seeing is you can't really, back in the day, you could just throw something on the Airbnb and the bookings was just roll in. Those times are, are gone. What, what, do we, what do we need to focus on right now, you know, to, to compete? Well, it's knowing who you are first, your identity. I mean, if you are a high-end, right, I mean, it's tailoring to who your audience. We kind of play above, above average homes in, our, in our kind of our sweet spot. And so, you know, guest reviews, uh, you know, great service are very important. Uh, and so we want to make sure, you know, on the platforms, the Verbo, the Airbnb, and all the other OTA channels, we're providing great experiences because that's really factoring in, that's optimizing how we're positioned and generating the bookings. The other is, you know, looking at your listings. Do they need to be refreshed? You know, look at the, you know, the images, the things you need to do. I mean, it's the basic blocking and tackling. And then, as you mentioned, the pricing. It's not set it and forget it. You have the dynamic pricing tool and those things are powerful. But what's more important is you're going to need to be, someone needs to be managing and using that data and directing. And I feel like those are kind of those core things. Um, you know, you do see some of these other very creative people who are creating unique experiences and standing out. And so whether it's tying in amenities or they have themed homes, it's knowing who your audience is and really going all in. So I t- as I tie back to my first point, know who you are, but you got to do all the foundational elements. Uh, mm-hmm. correct. Yeah, you got, you got to really like uh, cross all the, the T's and dot the I's in, in, in today's uh, environment to do well. And, you know, the revenue management side is interesting because first everyone was just, I remember the days where an Airbnb, people would just set one price. Like, all right, my home should be worth about 150 bucks a night. Let's set that price for every single day of the year, right? And, and you would see that quite a lot in the beginning. Um, and then you saw people starting to, you know, make some adjustments like, you know, the weekends may be a bit more expensive. Christmas, Thanksgiving, we'll jack up the price a little bit. Then came the, the you know, the beyond, beyond pricing, the wheelhouse, the price labs, and people started using those apps. And I feel like now, like most people are, you know, aware that they, they should be using one of those apps because it's, you know, without without data and without the algorithm, it's just very hard to price competitively. But I think there's what we're seeing now is like the next step is like, okay, now we have the tool, but now we also need somebody who understands how to use the tool. And, you know, I'm seeing companies hiring revenue managers and signing up for different services that are out there. So what's, um yeah, what do you what do you see when it comes to revenue management and, and how much upside is there, do you think, like actively managing revenue? Well, there's a ton. I mean, it's the probably one of the most vital parts of the business uh, that outside of the service side, and you've captured it well. That I'd say this life cycle, and I imagine you know we experienced it with you know local managers and operators, and you know things were going so well during that COVID window that it, there's almost a complacency, right, of leaving money on the table because you're anchoring to historical norms, and so not managing it as scientifically as you could. Well, guess what? Now, as things maybe level off a little and there's more inventory and a little more competitive, it's even more important that you're identifying those trends. I will tell you, if you're slow to move, you will see it and feel it. You will see you will be behind the market. And I'll tell you, our markets where we're seeing it, it it's amazing where you, 
you can see groups dropping prices in the comp sets and staying on. And it's like, if you're not on top of it, you're going to stand out and you're not going to get the bookings. And so it's funny, you don't, people probably didn't feel it as much during the, I'd say the peak t- tailwinds of COVID because they didn't realize how much maybe they weren't benefiting because they were not, you know, optimally priced and, you know, driving their, their ADR higher, but they're going to really feel it now. And, and when it just softens maybe a little, uh, because people are are making different buying decisions, you know, preferences are changing, booking windows are shortening a little. Um, and so you have to be on top of it. And so, like you said about revenue management and dedicated resources, that's important. This isn't easy stuff to distill the data, to look at the comp sets. And, you know, you know, when you're smaller, that, that can be a challenge because you're wearing a lot of different hats. And so it's one of the biggest challenges when you're trying to scale your business, dedicating enough time and mind share to those things that are just mission critical. Because it, mm-hmm. you know, I don't say you have to be a PhD uh, to, <laughs> to understand all the pricing, but it's not the easiest thing. And, and, you know, I always like to say it's a nice blend of art and science that you're taking the data and then you're making informed decisions to it. Um, mm-hmm. There is no set it and forget it today. It's just way too dynamic. It's way too much competitive. We are almost at a level where the hotels are, the airlines are. And if you're not on top of this, it's going to show you're going to, you're going to struggle and your home, you know, your homeowners are going to see less returns on their asset and that's going to impact their confidence in you. Yeah. Yeah. hundred um, percent. So what about the, what about the future? Like I was, I was reading a report that the 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 short-term rental industry is predicted to be at like what is it 300 million or something by the end of the decade, which is which will be like a 50 percent increase from where we are now. I I, I think what what do you think in terms of like uh, the industry in the next like three to five years? I think we're going to see uh, you know some continued growth. This is uh, something that you can tell the demand is there. You see a lot of the hotels starting to hedge, participate, because it's it, when it's done and delivered correctly, this is, a, in my opinion, a superior experience when you have everyone under the same roof and you have families together, you can cook, you can do these things. So I'm bullish on the long term. And I think seeing the large hotels, you know, whether they're building purpose built on their own inventory or having leveraging online, being their own, having their own booking engines tied to inventory is a good indication that they, they see it's here to stay. Um, so at a macro, I'm very bullish about it. I, I do think the competitive set's going to continue to grow and evolve, but I, I don't see major consolidation. I just think this is a business that you can centralize the elements of it, but you still need local boots on the ground. And so I, I think we, the key is, is just raising the standard of industry as a whole, um, because our industry is facing reputational challenges when it comes in the form of rec- regulations, where in a way we're we're being scapegoated for really a supply demand issue, which is not you know really a fair representation of what's going on. And so um, I, I do see us growing. I, I think we're going through a couple of years of helping reshape what regulation should look like. Regulations should be there and they should be a positive thing. I think they're just well-intended individuals that are kind of ill-conceived in most constructs. And so we're very active and, and we're really trying to kind of go shoulder to shoulder and link our arms with with our competitors, our tangent industries, because we do need to shape this in a positive way. There should be checks and balances and they should be, you know, have the proper taxing, but there's some markets that, and you've seen it, you know, of our 40 plus markets, we're dealing with them a lot, but that are a little ill-conceived and we have to help educate and reshape it. And we want to be part of the solution. So I do think that's the other part. 
And then I just think the technology is probably the last leg as I look at that future. Um, it's only going to get more accessible. You look at the, the amount of investment that's going into these different software platforms. And I think that's a positive thing for operators. More options, more, you know, and more competitors in different segments is going to drive the, the price down. And so if I'm sitting in the seat as a, as a large operator, small operator, I, I think that my competitors, you know, it might be the same competitors, but I think they're going to get more sophisticated each day. And so if I'm not working on getting better and, and being my best self, that I might get left kind of on the side of the road behind everyone. So adopting the revenue management, being more sophisticated in your marketing and how you're trying to add new homes and new inventory, I think are critical parts of the future. So that's probably way more than you bargained for on the <laughs> forecast, but <laughs> I just wanted to give you a well, full context. Sure. No, and you brought up uh, an interesting point as well. Like we, we just saw Hostaway raised uh, $175 million, which kind of blew my mind for property management software to raise that much money, um, which is awesome to see. Uh, shout out to Marcus. Uh, he's, uh, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. The beauty of the SaaS model. Those, those multiples are very attractive. Uh, you know, us operators can do well because the, the valuations are nice here, but software valuations uh, are, are very, uh, very impressive in what people can get. Sure, sure, but um, but yeah, you mentioned earlier that you think that the the, the property management softwares are kind of going to integrate a lot more functionalities. Like right now, I would say if I look at our, in our mastermind and I ask people how many tool different tools are you using to manage, you know, your your thirty, your forty, your fifty units, there's a there's a you know it's a solid list of, of tools, right? Uh, you have your pricing, you have your PMS, and you have your you know the the smart logs, the cleaning, the the guests. There's so many guest experience platforms out there now that you can add on to. Um, you know the tech landscape is is so wide, and people are using so many different tools. And now it's like, okay, well, how do we integrate all that so it all works together? But we see like Guesty, for example, now I noticed is you know is adding a lot of is trying to really become the one stop shop where you know they have all the different tools are integrated in the PMS. So is that something that you think is going to continue is that where we're going or is it is it at some point that the bms's are going to realize okay we can't be the best at everything so we're going to leave some parts out of it and let others handle it i think you're going to see for the majority will start to take those in-house they'll either buy or build uh, and just necessary because i saw this in the long-term space and we went through that evolutionary process where it was it was just rolling it the reason why is kind of to your original part of the question. The tech stack can get so convoluted and complex at the local level that it actually has diminishing returns. You want your, you know, your average team members logging into six or seven platforms, and they're not, if they're not all talking to each other, how effective are they really using the tools? Even though they're very valuable tools, then you might be better off actually simplifying the tech stack. And that's always when I'm looking at you know, scale. It's how do you simplify things? How do you streamline? And even though they're valuable tools, sometimes you, you won't use, you won't impl implement something because if you, you know, you're only half-heartedly engaging in it, it just doesn't have that value. So I think they will be strategic. And, you know, these companies that are, are, are usually venture backed, right? Um, their funding, those are the right strategic buyers. They have a captive audience. It makes sense if you can run it under the same umbrella. So I think more times than not, you will see these large players kind of integrate. I know some of the, the larger players, they also played in the long-term space. 
and they they evolve their tools. And remember, that's that's an important piece because if you're sitting on their side, they have to provide such a wide range of coverage. They're helping people with a couple properties to thousands of properties and everything in between. And so they have to have a pretty wide ranging solution. So I, I, you know, you go to a Verma conference. I, it's funny because you see the PMSs, but just I was blown away by the number of I'll say niche solutions for different elements. Very, very prevalent, and prevalent. I think that's where we're at in this early stage, and you'll see some of that consolidation um, because it's just hard. I mean, doesn't mean they're not valuable, but to have multiple platforms, it's really hard to justify. You know, not only the cost, but to do these things just for one piece that I have a whole nother log and I have to have another, you know, separate, you know, train my team on all these other different elements. So yeah, yeah that's where, again, long winded way of saying how I believe the consolidation is going to happen. All right. Well, um, you touched on, uh, on something that I wanted to talk to you about as well, which is skill, right? You mentioned as, as we're scaling, like we have to simplify and, and keep, keep our operations as, as, uh, as simple as possible. Um, what, so like if you if you look at like the whole spectrum right going from like uh, you know somebody who manages like like five to ten units you know then making the move to around like the 50 50 ish level and then your business changes quite a bit and then making the move all the way up to where where you guys are playing at like a thousand units i imagine you know there's you're dealing with different challenges and we have to structure the, the business differently. So can you, can you kind of talk us through of like what changes as, as you scale up? Yeah, it's, it's an amazing life cycle. And it, it, you're really similar as we saw at, you know, by locations in, in the long-term space. And I've seen it in the, you know, sit on boards for other industries, similar, I'd say lifestyle pivot or life changes in the business as a pivot. First, you know, it's, there's an intentionality you have to have. You know, early on, you're wearing every hat and then you bring on that first team member and you can see people who maybe don't scale as much because they don't let go, right? What is the highest and best use of your time? And you need to be really honest with yourself, what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are and hiring your weaknesses. And I know you, you want to talk at higher levels, but that's the basics. It's, it's you know, it's letting go and really scaling because often where people will top out is they don't trust. They hire one person, do some stuff. And they never let go of, you know, of the responsibilities. And guess what? They are the bottleneck and they are the reason why their business won't scale because they just won't empower, you know, individuals to help them scale. And so I think that's that first choke point uh, that really gets you. You know, the other is, you know, is really investing in talent. It's the most expensive and most important resource. And, you know, it's understanding that early stage, you need versatile resources. And then as you grow, you become more departmental and you can get resources that are more focused. So it's having the right hires in the different places and understanding you are making investments. It's scary. There's a whole emotional piece. So not only, you know, some people don't let go because it's like, well, now I need to add that person and I'm making a good living here at 15 properties, but am I going to grow enough to 25, 30 where I can justify that next hire? And so ask yourself logically, it's not only I need to grow, but am I making the right investment strategically to grow so that even though I'm taking a step back, that I know I'll get a return on that investment. And that happens at different pivot points every time you're adding to your staff and evolving. So you said it, it's like, you know, that 15 and that 30, even at that 50, those are different leaps. And then you get to 100. You now have like a director level 
and that's a you know like staff and those are might be a couple of people that's a huge investment and you want to continue that growth cycle and then the other thing that really rings true on that is your processes and always looking at where things are breaking down you can get away with a lot of inefficiencies at a small size but guess what as you grow those inefficiencies really start to show up and so what feedback loops do you have in place to start to see what you know guest issues are popping up what concerns homeowners what are your response times and seeing where some of those things are so that you can isolate those inefficiencies and some of it might be you know scope of what you know a different position and a person's you know responsibilities are um, some of it might not you know lack of having a dedicated resource in the area as you're growing but that's a it, it is an evolutionary process and you have to be very intentional and if you are tied into the day-to-day and you're doing the day-to-day get stuff guess what you can't be working on the business you're in the business so your perspective is just you're, you're right here you can barely keep your head above it so mm-hmm. i mean it's and it and there's no one size fits all it's it, that's what i'm saying it's that it's that intentional focus it's getting you know have that feedback loop so that you really are looking at where those inefficiencies are um so it's again i could spend an hour on it because help that's what we do is we really help people get to that next level and and love living in that space but there's there's logical things and there's emotional things and it, it takes you know making some big leaps and in investments because uh, it can be scary to do that yeah 100 you know one thing that uh that i see in our in our groups that's often the kind of like the chicken or the egg or the $1 million question, whatever you want to call it. But it's like you get to the level where you you realize, okay, I'm wearing most of the hats. I need to get myself out of it. But, you know, I, I'm not sure if I can afford to hire like a general manager, for example. Right. So what do you do when, when you're at that level where you can't necessarily afford the person that you need, but you also don't want to keep doing all the work yourself? Yeah. And that can be a tough, especially if you're stagnant in your growth. Because you're looking at going, okay, I, I don't know how, you know, how I'm going to get out of this, you know, so it, it is charting out what do you need to be able to justify it. And so it's like, I'm going to hire that general manager and I'm at 30 properties. Well, how do you solve that equation going, okay, I can't afford it today, but what do I need to build? I need to maybe make some of that other investment and go through this, this aches and pains of, I got to gross to, you know, 45, 50 properties. So what am I doing on the business development side? Do I look at my commission and fee structure, the things I could tweak to modify there? Um, you know, is there, can I be a little more proactive on deep cleans, maintenance, other areas to maybe help justify that um, position? Um, so I, I think you need it and you can afford it. You know, you, you just got to ha- maybe get creative. But if, you're, if you don't have the growth trajectory, you're going to kind of be stuck in this vicious cycle and you'll be spiraling. And so I imagine mm. people that you know, in your mastermind group are running into that often. And that's a scary, scary place to be um, if you're not growing. So I, we really always advocate, you know, getting your business development dialed in because that just makes it a lot easier to make those leaps. If, if you have that and you're growing, then it's a temporary setback to add that general manager, that next operational layer. Um, when you go, okay, I know by the end of the year, I'm going to add 10 more properties. You can chart out and go, okay, I am taking a pay cut now that I hire this person, but I can see the trajectory and where the ROI is. And, you know, and then the quality of life, uh, if you can get elevated and work on the business a little more. Uh, so 
it, 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 that is supernatural. And I, you know, not supernatural, but supernatural to feel because I have seen that uh, in many different businesses. And that's the common challenge. Yeah. And that's where most people top out because that's a, that's a bigger leap because that's the, la- the general manager is the last thing to let go because you're in control <laughs> and then feeling good with, okay, someone else is going to be running that day to day. So there, that's also right. emotional too. And how, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that because I see that. I don't know why, but I always feel like people in the short-term rental industry tend to be a little bit controlling and perfectionist, and maybe that's just our groups. But um, and, and you know, and, and that makes it really hard to let go of control. I, like we take a lot of pride in our guest reviews and everything, and we're like, oh, I don't want, I don't want a single four-star review. Um, so I need to do everything myself because if I let somebody else do it, they'll make a mistake, and and there's going to be. Mm-hmm. something is going to go wrong, right? So how do we let go of that? Well, it, it's common with small business and entrepreneurs. It, 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 it's a learned behavior. You've been successful because you've done everything. And the, the understand that that's not the success. That, that's guy that brought you success at this level. But really going to make you successful at the next level is a team. You, you, you can't be everywhere. Uh, and so it, it, it's the logical element and understanding if someone's doing it and they're 80% or better of what, you know, of what you were doing, that's good enough and have the right checks and balances and, you know, to, to make sure that things aren't going off the rails. And so you can quality control and check that part is really is emotional. And, and I get it because guess what? That's what made you successful to this point. But it's kind of the same thing of why people started a business because they wanted to get a better percentage of the return on their time. If, if they're going to continue to be, you know, hold on to everything, you're only going to get paid for the hours you're working. If you really build a business, now you're a multiplier, right? That's where the, the incremental income potential is. So part of it's you got to help, you know, there is give yourself permission. Part of it is really be strategic and then set the guide rails around like your comfort and what are the right checks and balances so that you can feel good. I've done it. Come behind, you know, you know, large businesses and entrepreneurs. And if that general manager or whoever you're letting go that to, what reports do you have in place? What scorecard? Like, how can you still stay dialed in and have those kind of those metrics that you're paying attention to the business? And so can, you can see when things are coming off, but that doesn't require you to be in and touching everything. You need to be thinking in terms of scale. And there's a logical piece, but there's also give yourself permission because then again, people are also feel guilty. <laughs> like, oh, Someone else is doing it. It's my business. Well, no, that's what you did. You've created an opportunity and you you took that risk. So again, I, I, I'm a broken record. There's the logical pieces, but there's also a psychology and an emotional piece that you got to give yourself grace and permission to let go. Of. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about... You, you know, you mentioned the emotional piece. There's the logical side, you know, which is, you know, the operations and the efficiencies and all of that. But it's, I also feel like, you know, when you start hiring people and you're not doing the work yourself, but now you're leading other team members, from my experience, like I've noticed that it's it brings different types of um, emotional challenges as well. And I feel like I kind of had to grow as a person to kind of be able to you know, to deal with that. What, because, you know, in the end of the day, like we have, I think we have to grow as individuals, you know, to be able to go through that process. 
Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Is, is there something specifically that you have done kind of to level up as a person to be able to run these large companies? Oh, it, it, very intentional about professional development. So it, what you've said is, is probably one of the most cha common challenges. I've seen it time and time again with having thousands of employees throughout my career. That leap from being an individual contributor to a manager and a leader is one of the hardest leaps uh, because you're so used to being, again, why you were successful, like to our previous question, I just do everything. And now you have to be a multiplier and develop people. And, you know, so to directly your question, I'm very intentional about professional development, reading and mastermind groups and, you know, part of Young Presidents Organization and all these different things. I, I dedicate time every day to something I'm trying to get better at. Um, skill. So very intentional about professional development. And every team and culture I have, I do the same things. I want to make sure we're dedicating time. We may be way very busy, but I believe, you know, when I, I hire someone, I, I you know, I'm going to ask a lot of them, but I want them to ask a lot of me. And I want to be intentional and dedicate time to that professional development and be a multiplier. Um, so to me, it's it's just like any other, you know, strategic initiative. It's improving yourself and it's the best investment you can make. Like it's going to be the best return on your investment is working on yourself. And key is right. Knowing yourself, your strengths, your weaknesses, and being honest about it and really working to it. And so, you know, I come from a sports background and I kind of bring that mindset to it of like, okay, what do I need to shore up? How do I get better? And I'm, you know, to this day, everything I do is, you know, I, I feel like how can I improve so that I can show up and be a better leader? Because I feel like that's my obligation uh, to, you know, everyone that works for me. And sure. it can be hard as, a, you know, that first time being a leader and taking on, you know, having a team because we see the world through our lens and how we view it. And we have to understand everyone sees things different and we want to hire people different than us because it, it really creates an, a great diverse, you know, viewpoint and energy and everything. And so that's usually a, a, a big leap too for a manager is to, okay, understand people look at the world differently and how do you support them? You know, I, I really value taking care of my team, but they all kind of get managed and supported differently. I tailor that support and I, and I really coach that because, you know, someone who likes direct feedback and, and really that's, that's a different conversation than that person who's, you know, you know, t is very, takes everything personal. And I, I mean, in a positive way, like, but, you know, their heart's connected to it. And so it's like, how do you bring them along is going to be different. And you have to tailor that support. So yeah, it, to me, the development of people is the best thing you can do. And, and I, I feel like the only way you can do is, is lead by example. Hmm. When it comes to hiring, like what, what's some advice? Cause what I see with early stage entrepreneurs, including myself was uh, that, you know, you, you see, you need to help. And so you kind of look around and you're like, okay, who do I know who has nothing to do right now and can come, you know, it's kind of like trying to uh, find an easy fix for, for, for the problem that you have versus really thinking about like, okay, well, what's the role? What's the skill sets required? What type of person? What's your, what's your advice on that on the hiring cool. side? That is one that gets shortchanged so much and it's common. First is clarity of what you need. Like draw, draw up a true, not only job description, but like a mission. And what are the goals of someone successful in this role? What are the key attributes? Take the time to understand like, a successful, you know, you know, I'll say guest services manager will accomplish this in 12 months. Here are the top three skills. That gives you a framework for really interview. And 
I will tell you, it's, it's funny because even when I've had, you know, large teams, hundreds of employees, I try to be a part of interviewing as best uh, process as much as possible because I, I want my teams to interview and people multiple times and really get to the core of it. It sounds painstaking, but if you're investing that time, you're layering in personality profiles, aptitude tests, you're more likely to get it right because it, it is so expensive and costly to get a higher wrong. And you got to make sure it's right for them and it's right for you. And so the more time you're dedicating, the better picture you're getting, the better picture you're paying for them. So I invest a lot of time, multiple interviews, hours with candidates. It's To me, it's, it's one of the most important things you can do because you're people. And it makes it easier for you to, to let go if you've really invested a heavy amount of time. And so there's like a number of great tools. So whether you're using like for the personality profile, they, they should match up like, there's the PI, there's DISC, there's a lot of great resources there. Same thing for like aptitude testing. Um, I'd recommend um, the Who Method. It's a great book. It's by GH Smart. They're a company and kind of going through screening. So it's a great resource. Um, and, you know, it's kind of best practices on how do you interview. And if you, it's funny, they're, they're telling you to spend, you know, six, seven hours with candidates. And it's like, if you do that, you're going to have a good feel <laughs> of who people are. Um, so, I know it can be painful, but it's a worthwhile investment on getting it right. And it's never perfect. But what you do, if you can ma- manage out the margin of error, it, it, you will have a huge advantage over those who kind of shortchange and go, oh, here's a warm body. Because more likely <laughs> than not, you're not going to get it right. And I hate to be say, say, you know, you know, so cavalier with it, but I know that's an extreme example. But there is. I'm like, I need someone now and I'm, you know, I'm just going to try to hire the first person I think has a great personality because guess what? These are important jobs and you need someone who's got not only the experience, but the attitude and the mindset. And it's a fit for them because turnover is way too expensive. So sorry to get preachy on you, but that, that one's an important one. I, I, I I spend so much time on that. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, I mean, we've experienced this firsthand uh, as well quite a few times. So I appreciate the, uh, the advice here. Um, before we wrap up this podcast, I would love to ask you, you've, you've been in the short-term rental space now about uh, two years or so, I believe. What, what's, what's one thing, what's the, major, the biggest learning lesson for you in our industry? And then my second question would be, what's one thing that you would have done differently if you would start over? Yeah, it's funny because the bias I came in with the long term, I, I didn't realize that revenue management side as much. Like, I knew it was important and we're going through that, you know, you know that I'd say riding high tailwind uh, of the COVID window. And it was amazing that, to, you know, so to me, it was illuminating of how important that is, not just the tools, but the, the training of it. So it's kind of not only, I'd say the biggest learning, uh, but what I would do differently is that, that I would have jumped in that, not a couple months in like day one of really getting deeper into it. Um, as you, you know, I already kind of preached about it before. I think it's one of the most important parts of our business. But during that window, when we had that tailwind, you didn't know that you might be leaving money on the table. You're, you're at such high occupancy rates. And it's like, oh, we're adjusting up. But realize we could have probably adjusted rates up even higher. And it could have been a more lucrative window. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't know what you don't know. Right? I, I remember when I first started with my first Airbnb in 2012, I set the price and I left it there for like about a year until... You know, I started using one of those pricing apps and I was suddenly like, whoa, it's recommending like twice my price for this whole month. I'm like, I almost felt guilty 
are yeah. <laughs> charging so much, but people are paying it. You know, but, but that's that's a common theme, right? That, that's why you need the data and everything because you anchor to historical norms and people who just say they know it. That's usually the common like, wait, I can't charge that, and then just like give it a chance. Let's see with the tool, and then it books for it, and people are you know can be blown away with actually what it can do because you're bringing this this bias, this historical norms that aren't relevant to today, right? You know, some of them. And it's like you have, you need to, you know, make sure that you're blending your past experiences with what is really the market dictating. And that's a real common one uh, because it can be scary. Like, wow, this property can do how much a night? And like you said, two X. And you look at the comp set and everyone's priced there. And guess what? Most time, more times than not, it's, it's right. And sometimes even if the, if the older people aren't charging it, you could still charge it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Kind of set the market. Um, sweet. Tell us a little bit more about uh, Skyrun vacation rentals. Like, wh- where are you guys located? What kind of type of properties do you manage, and uh, and wh- what kind of guest avatar? Like, who are you? Who are you targeting? Yeah, well, so Skyrun Vacation Rentals was a company founded in Keystone, Colorado, back in 2004. Um, we are a franchise company, so we're independently owned and operated. We do have company stores. We have a uh, you know, we're kind of across the country, you know, from California all the way to, you know, the Eastern seaboard. So, you know, Florida, South Carolina, um, we really started to make more of a presence in the urban markets, you know, the, the Nashville's, uh, the Austin's, the Dallas. And so we're a pretty diverse ranging company and we're going to, you know, continue to grow probably, uh, you know, open probably 10 more locations here before the end of the year. So continue on a, a nice growth trajectory. Um, you know, our homeowners, our sweet spot are the individuals who are the, the, those who have homes and they want to be able to use it a little bit. And it's like, this allows them to have that dream of having that second home and access it. That's kind of our primary. Um, they care, they value a little higher touch, a little higher care for the home. Uh, we still do service for investors. Um, but I'd say that's kind of our, our sweet spot is that homeowner because we're not, we're not the low cost provider. We're the high value and we believe, you know, with our attention to revenue management, we'll generate more income, but also the higher touch, we're going to take care of that home because that's the biggest investment. And, you know, over a third of our guests are repeat guests. Um, we take pride as a system average over 4.8 stars of 600,000 previous guests. And you've been in this space, you know how hard it is to, to kind of consistently do that. And so we take a lot of pride at we provide great experiences and it's, it's you know, we get repeat business because of that. So it's, I feel really fortunate coming into a team that built some amazing things. And, you know, my job is to, to build upon that and just really help us scale. And really, you know, our, we strive to build the best operation in the industry and that's our goal. And so continue to make those investments and training tools and support to make that happen. Awesome. Where can people find more information about the company or if they want to stay in one of the units? Yeah, skyrun.com is probably the easiest place. Uh, so skyrun.com and you'll find kind of all of our locations, our properties, and even learn about kind of our franchise model if you have interest around that. Awesome. Well, this was uh, this was great. Um, so much value in, in, in this uh, conversation, Lucas. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for doing the show. Good luck with uh, with Skyrun. And, uh, you know, what's the goal? How many, how many units in the next 10 years? You know, we don't have a hard goal. It's nice because we're, we're we're privately held, so we do have some of those targets. I, I do believe in the next three years we'll be over 100 locations. Imagine a few thousand homes. 
Um, but as you know, it's to us, it, it's, it's about quality. We want the right franchisees, the right operators, but also the right homeowners that fit our model. So we will be selective. So that's the nice thing about it is we, those targets are there, but they're not like the, you know, absolutes. Uh, those targets are a guidepost to drive us. So you're not looking to crush that record, previous record uh, of 65,000. 65 in the short term would be pretty <laughs> impressive. Uh, I, 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 we're not going for that. I definitely know that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Lucas. Appreciate it. Um, and to the listeners, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, we'll be back on Monday with another one. So have a great weekend to see you then. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet.